I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. So we're talking a bit about the uh, the state of the race and the state of play right now within the GOP. Because uh, we've just got a few days before New Hampshire. Um, I hear it's cold up there. I was walking to get my coffee this morning in my flip-flops and my T-shirt. The sun... In my eyes. I hear they have to bundle up in Manchester, New Hampshire, and Nashua, and some of the other... Hey, they have to do that in Nashville right now, Buck. This is a second straight snow day. It's like 10 degrees here, which never happens. So, uh, snow's still on the ground, can't go anywhere. It's uh, it's a mess. You know, they do have beaches in New Hampshire, like 30, 30 miles, I think, of coastline, something like that. So You ever like gotten a... in the water up there in the summer? No, I was going to say, for a solid two weeks of the year... New Hampshireites, granite staters, if you will, uh, can go to a, uh, a beach in their own state. But, um, I actually really do like it up there. I went to camp up there for a long time because it's very beautiful. I think Mount Washington, which is in, uh, New Hampshire, is the place that has the highest wind, like the highest recorded wind speed. I want to say in the, definitely in the U.S. Someone fact check me on this. Mount Washington in New Hampshire. I think has the highest recorded wind speed of anywhere in the United States. Fun facts that I'm just throwing out. There. How high would the wind speed be? What's your guess? Oh, dude, you're going to put me in the, I'm going to sound like, I mean, very I know silly. I'm just, I mean, like hurricane wind speeds, like 150 miles an hour for Two, a category. I, I was going to say 200 mile an hour winds, I think have, have, no, remember that's, that's at the top of the, yeah. of the mountain team. Check me on this one. Maybe, maybe this mile a, an hour winds is pretty crazy. You know, they used to have the man, a, what's, what was the old man mountain? You know what I'm talking about? The face of the old man mountain and it blew off. So maybe your wind like speed I'm, thing. I feel like I'm, I am the old man mountain. What are you talking about? Wait, what The happened? man of the mountain. It was like the most famous, uh, iconic, uh, rock formation in New Hampshire and it broke. Like it was the face of an old man on the rock formation and it fell. You this and I like just the, have elite New Hampshire knowledge is what yeah. I'm, what I'm taking away here. This and it's is also like possible of the, uh, none of this is right. 
the never-ending story when the big stone figure says they look like such strong hands and and he's you know it's very sad. Do you ever see the never-ending story that oh, back of course in the I 80s? Yeah. Used to watch that at daycare every day. They put it on Dude, the never-ending the story. Was, the wolf was scary. If we're just being honest here, that wolf was scary, scary to this day. I didn't realize, you know, they were they were freaking the kids out back then. All right. Ted Cruz back to important matters and not just New Hampshire knowledge. I I'm waiting for the team to correct me on this one. I think my Mount Washington trivia Maybe, uh, correct. But here we go. Ted Cruz saying that it is over. Time to endorse Trump. And, uh, well, let's hear it from him. Then I want to put something out there to this audience. Play one. Trump's victory was across the board. He won 51% of the vote. He won 98 of the counties. Congratulations to President Trump on that dominating victory. And, and at this point, I, I believe this race is over. So, so I am proud to endorse Donald Trump for president of the United States. I look forward to supporting him enthusiastically because I think it's time for the Republican Party to unite for us to come together. We've got to beat Joe Biden. We've got to beat this disastrous cultural Marxist agenda in the White House. We've got to retake the United States Senate. We've got to hold the House. We got to come together and win. And with the results last night, the people have spoken. It's time to move onward to victory in November. I just want to know if anyone Anyone listening really strongly disagrees with Senator Ted Cruz's statement. And we'll, we'll hear you out. I, I want to, I'm not, this isn't an ambush because it's totally fine to have whatever opinion you want on this. I'm just curious. And, and if you think the race is not over, I want, I want to know why. Now, obviously it's not over technically, but in terms of what's going to happen, as we've said many, many times, it looks like this is where things are. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy is also calling on DeSantis and Haley to drop out now. This is cut two. Play it. I think it's very clear who the Republican primary electorate is saying that they want to be their nominee. I ran to be that person. They sent me a very positive message. But the very positive message they sent to all of us is that Donald Trump needs to be the nominee of this party. And I think Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley would actually at this point do this country and this party a service by stepping aside to make sure that we're focused on not only nominating Donald Trump, but getting this country back and reviving those founding revolutionary ideals. And I think we do live in that 1776 moment right now. We need to win. You're calling on Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to drop out right now. I am. And I do think that would be healthy for this country. All right. So, Clay, what's the downside right now if Ron DeSantis were to – I'm not – you know, people can say they don't want him to drop out. That's fine. But I'm just wondering what if, if you think he should drop out – and, he, and I want to go back to being the best governor in the country and supporting the Donald Trump agenda when he's president again. And I look forward to working closely with him. I am suspending my campaign. What, what's, what's stopping DeSantis strategically from doing that right now in your mind? I don't think there. Okay. So Nikki Haley, it makes sense why she wouldn't drop out as we talked about in the first hour. This is what I was thinking about this morning. This is what I was thinking about last night. The only reason why I can think of that Ron DeSantis is staying in the race is because he thinks that something is going to come down the pike uh, as it pertains to the uh, – uh, and remember, they would just be suspending, but as it pertains to lawfare and, and that something there is going to happen and Trump's not going to be on the ballot and he doesn't want his name to somehow come off of the primary ballots as a viable contender. I can't think of any other reason because, again, the poll that came out this morning, which is, again, I think this is important. Everybody out there listening, the polls have been accurate so far. 
So I understand there's conspiracy theories. Oh, the polls aren't real. The, the, the Iowa caucus polls were almost a hundred percent accurate. The most recent poll that came out of New Hampshire shows Ron DeSantis at five points, shows Donald Trump at 50, Nikki Haley at 34, DeSantis at five. We are, what are we sitting at? Six days from the actual New Hampshire primary. If Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire posts a single digit number, which seems somewhat likely, I don't understand how that is in any way helping him compared to after Iowa saying, look, I came in second, but I was a distant second. Trump is going to be the nominee. It's time to move forward. The only thing I can think, and I'm, I'm open to what argument you could come up with if you were DeSantis's team right now, the only thing I can think is that they are contemplating something happening in the courts that is going to make this a viable race because yeah. if he couldn't win after See, spending a hundred million dollars in Iowa, what's going to change in every other state? I, I don't see. I think we both agree there, there's no way they're going to get a, a, uh, conviction before this primary is over. Correct. Right? I don't so even think they're going to start the trials before the primary mean. is decided. So, so legally, Trump is going to be, and, and these, the, the take him off the ballot initiatives aren't going to work. Supreme Court's not going to allow that because then we actually don't have elections and we don't have a country and we might as well start thinking about where we're going to move. Like if you, if you can have a judge unilaterally take a former president off the ballot, our whole system is a joke. I'm not going to defend it, but. That's not going to happen, okay? Okay, it's, it's I, absurd. We agree. It's absurd and abhorrent that it has already been sort of attempted, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to work because it really is a, at that point, all bets are off situation. So assuming my analysis on that is correct, um, Trump will be on, on the ballot and, and, and a viable candidate in all these places. And then really look, I'll say it. I mean, the Andy McCarthy piece in National Review, um, and I, I, you know, Andy's a very smart guy. We've had him on the show a lot. I, I, I like Andy. I've known him for, gosh, 12 or 13 years now. Um, and he's saying it's, it's really clay all about what I've been bringing up here all along, uh, which is they're just, they haven't turned on the engines of Trump is Hitler. Look at all the charges. He lost to E. Jean Carroll for a sexual assault, you know, 50, 40 years ago or whatever it was. I mean, they haven't turned on that machinery yet, and the trials play into that. Not so much they're going to lock him in a prison cell and we can't vote for him, and he's going to be. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, that's I, I the get, case that he's making. I get that argument from Andy, and it's it's not. Look, I don't think anybody who is looking at this rationally can argue anything other than Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. They do. Joe Biden, if he could select his opponent, uh, what trial by combat, Game of Thrones style, he would pick Donald Trump. Now, they also did that in 2016. Yes, they, they wanted right Trump. Is the big question. I, I think it's lost. clear what their so, intent is. I so would also the next say nine months, we're going ten months, we're going to try to figure out were they or were they not right. That's the that's the question. I, I would also just take a moment here, a breather. You know how I always said, uh, you know, you don't have a Tennessee accent? You know there is one word in which you go full Tennessee on me, buddy. You know what it is? Which one is that? Get. You're like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Did anyone else ever notice this? Clay gets fired up. The word G-E-T, Clay sounds very Tennessee on that word. That's the only time he's like, I get it. Interesting. Yeah. You've, have you ever noticed that? 
No, I, I, I can't hear my own accent, so I, I don't Tell know. Tell me if what I'm wrong, everybody, because like. he just did it a second ago, and I've noticed before. When I get gets, it. I get no, it. No, no, that was, that up. was Vanderbilt Law School, Clay. When you get fired up, you go, I get it. You kind of get a little, a little southern on me. That's the only time I've ever heard it before. Occasionally people write to me and say that I say a few, a few words like a New Yorker. So we'll see if we ever pick those out. You stand uh, online. What's up? You stand online. New Yorkers, yes. they all, instead of standing in line, New Yorkers all oh, stand yeah, online. online. Oh yeah, yeah I, I stand know. on the line. You yeah. go online to get on the internet. You stand in line for like everywhere else in the country. That's when I notice New Yorkers. You wow, never noticed look that? At, look at SEC man here throwing the Northeast under the bus. You know, he's, I'm he's telling not you, letting, I, <laughs> he's not letting it go unanswered, everybody. I was, I was blown away when I was in college. I couldn't understand it because everybody gets online to go on the internet and everybody in the, all the, I went to school with a lot of New Yorkers. They were always like, Oh, we've got to go get online for this. We've got to go get on. And I was like, what, what do we got to get our computers? Like, I don't know. You know, everybody in New York, just New York pretty much stands online. Yeah. That, that's true. We also, you guys also say pop, don't you? Instead of soda. No, 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 no. Pop is pop. I think is the Midwest. Uh, we say Coke, although I think it's becoming less significant. Every soda is a Coke. Like we don't say soda in the South. Everything's a Coke. Like uh, I'll take a Coke. What kind of Coke? Like uh Sprite. Yeah. I, I've, I've slipped in the occasional y'all too. I feel like I talked to Clay enough that I have y'all permission, which we've discussed before. Y'all have permission to call in and tell us, are we missing something here about where this primary is and what's going on? Are we missing something that you want to bring to our attention? Because right now, uh, here, let me give you one, Clay. This will be a tease. Is Nikki Haley going to win New Hampshire? Yes or no and why? When we come back, we want to do that one? Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Look, we do our best to shine the spotlight on good work done by others, people who do not go out of their way to take credit for their own good deeds. The people working at the pre-born network of clinics nationwide deserve proper recognition. Your gifts and generosity toward pre-born last year allowed them to save the lives of more than 58,000 unborn babies in 2023 alone. The team working at Preborn use your donations to welcome pregnant mothers into their clinics every day. They offer them support, care, love, and up to two years' worth of supplies. Basic items like baby clothes and diapers, for instance. They also offer them a chance to meet their unborn child via ultrasound. I mean, that experience alone, when the mother gets to hear the baby's tiny heartbeat in the womb, so often is the decision point, is that moment in time when the mother decides to give the baby life. And life so often prevails that 58,000 babies were brought into the world last year by Preborn Networks because of your donations. Preborn is a nonprofit. You get your gift, of, or, or if you can give a gift of $28, that'll pay for a, an ultrasound. Whatever you can afford to share, Preborn puts your donation to great use. Using your cell phone, dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby, or go to preborn.com slash buck. Preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. The Truth Compass. Pointing due right every day. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Box Sexton Show. I appreciate all of you blowing out the the world with our New Hampshire genius here. Uh, Old Man of the Mountain, also called the Great Stone Face and the Profile. Five granite cliff ledges on Cannon Mountain in Franconia, New Hampshire. Uh, it fell, right? Um, that, that, that's the part that I said, right? Yeah, the old man of the mountain. Ali, deeper, deeper research here. Yes, that's what it used to be, but a part of it fell and it's no longer the old man of the mountain. I think I'm correct. Buck was correct in his knowledge of, uh, how hard the wind had blown in New Hampshire. I would not have anticipated that that was, uh, that that was, I did not know this. That it blew at like, well, what's the math? I had it in front of me here a second ago, over 200 miles an hour, like the, the hardest in the Western hemisphere still, in, right? In, in the world at one point. Yeah. The world record. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to seem foolish because I'm like, wait, it must go faster somewhere else. But no, Mount Washington, New Hampshire had a surface wind speed measured in 1934 of 231 miles an hour. Unfortunately, they lost this uh record in um 2009 uh and there was a tropical cyclone with winds of 254 miles an hour off some island but off uh, australia okay off so australia. here's my question do you trust the data from 1934 or do you think it's suspect because it's almost 100 years old I I cannot even begin to pretend to know how they would measure wind speed in 1934. I I don't, you know, I still get confused between Fahrenheit and Celsius, my friend. This is not my area. I'm going to say it's suspect. All right, you asked the question. We're going to dive into this when we come back in the uh in the next segment. 
Does Nikki Haley have a chance to win New Hampshire? I'll give you a little bit of a preview here of my thinking. It entirely depends on how many Democrats decide to vote in the New Hampshire primary. Because they are aggressively, remember Biden, and I, I do think this has been under-discussed. Biden made the decision to basically wipe out the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary because those voters have overwhelmingly rejected Joe Biden every time they've gotten to spend any time with him. And as a result, there's not a real primary going on in New Hampshire. What's our buddy Dean Phillips or whatever the guy's name is who's actually running the Minnesota congressman? He may get some support. They're asking people to write in Biden. But effectively, Democrats have punted on that uh, primary. And now the pitch has turned to, hey, go support Nikki Haley, vote against Donald Trump. I think the only way Nikki Haley wins is if Democrats come out in substantial numbers because you don't have primary registration because anybody can show up and vote and make the decision to vote for Nikki Haley. Otherwise, I don't think she has any chance. You think she wins? Given given the shenanigans, no. you still no, think you I, think Trump comes out number one. I still think Trump is going to win. Now now, uh, now does she does she then drop before no. she gets beat in her home state of South Carolina, or does she try to win in South Carolina? No, she's got two weeks. The media just prepare for this. Wants there to be a story because they need there to be a story because there is no Democrat race. And so they will try to turn South Carolina into a massive referendum. Even if Nikki Haley loses by 10 or 15 points, she's going to argue that she is now the the direct uh, opponent to Trump. The one thing I'll ask you as we go to break, is there any conversation going on between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis? Is there any possibility at all that there's some form of a unity ticket between the two of them because that would change my calculus as to why DeSantis is potentially staying in the race. And I'll talk about that a little bit uh, as well, because I'm trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. Uh, but I want to tell you all about our friends at MyPillow. They can hook you up. So many different products out there that you are absolutely going to love. And all you have to do is go to MyPillow.com right now. Use the code Clay and Buck, and you can get hooked up with a ton of different offers, including right now, 50% off the new flannel sheets. It's freezing. It was zero this morning here in Tennessee. That almost never happens. Actual zero. I was freezing last night. Definitely glad that I had my new my pillow sheets. They help to keep me warm. You can get free shipping, 60-day money-back guarantee, 10-year warranty. All you have to do is use our names, Clay and Buck, as the promo code. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square. Go to MyPillow. Get hooked up. Again, use my name, Clay and Buck, as the promo code, and you will get hooked up, and you'll be ready to roll at MyPillow.com. Welcome back in, team. Um, you know, one, do we do we get into Chevron deference? Do we get into Chevron deference That is now? That this is, is really... nerdy even for law people nerdy, but it is an important case. I think I can. Can we do a, a short version of Chevron deference? Because I, I think it because it was heard today, oral arguments, the Supreme Court, and we had mentioned it at the top. And I, I want to get into a little bit of additional, uh, a, a little bit deeper into some of the the substance. Because you know, look, the elections, it's happening Tuesday. We'll see. We've made some predictions, but here here we go. I'll I'll lay this out as as best I can for everybody. So there's the, I'm just realizing this is a big, this is a big ask, actually. This is not easy to describe. I when tried, you don't when have... you said, when you said off air, hey, the Chevron case, I'm, I was like, man, that's even for, even for legal people, this is a nerdy thing to explain. It's significant, 
but super nerdy. So, so I'll, I'll give a layman's interpretation of what's going on. The Supreme Court's hearing a case and it has to do, uh, with the way that the federal bureaucracy is able to get deference when it comes to the interpretation of congressional statute. In essence, if there's some broad authority, let's say that like the EPA has on wetlands, and you go, okay, I like wetlands to be protected. I don't want all the marshes and the swamps to disappear because I like alligators and flamingos or whatever. Obviously, Florida-centric down here, but you get what I'm saying. Well, what if they decide that actually a wetland is a body of water that's in your backyard and therefore you actually no longer own your own land and if you try to drain it, you're going to get fined thousands of dollars a day? Well, you won't find that in any congressionally passed law. You will find that in the EPA deciding it's in its own way. And this is just an example. So if, you know, for some reason there is some EPA law that lets them do this, but, um, you know, you can see how they will extend their mandate far beyond um, what is actually written down. Now, this kind of makes some sense in the context of if you have, say, a federal agency that's dealing with minor stuff, that's, uh, you know, almost like a more of a clerical issue. All right. It shouldn't have to get handled by the courts because there's so many agencies. Maybe that's the problem and so many different laws already that it's meant to streamline things. And so the Supreme Court had essentially decided that there should be deference given, um, deference given to the federal interpret, federal agency interpretation of statute. Uh, the, the case that's before them that was heard today, the oral arguments have to do with, um, a fisherman who had to pay. This is for the national, like, fisheries. I can't even remember. By the way, I used to live in the world of acronyms. There are 430 federal agencies and other regulatory a- agencies, um, which is, think about that for a second. Did you think about that? Clark? I, ju- I just am laughing because I'm trying to picture. People understanding the way that regulatory agency power exists and how the Supreme Court is going to make decisions about that and how difficult it is to explain why this is so important in a way that grips immediately everybody's attention. Because this is so nuanced and complicated that it's hard to distill it into a sentence or two. But this, this is the possibility that we have for the administrative state to be gutted. So it's, so Clay and I agree on this point. It's very possibly important here, depending on how it goes. It's a, it's a momentous case, but it gets way down into the functioning of the bureaucracy. Um, and you know, this is, uh, this is where the, oh, the fishermen, sorry, I was looking for this. The Magnuson, uh, the Magnuson Stevens Fishery Conservation and Management Act. Okay. Yeah. No, this is getting real. Yeah. The MSA. We're getting real deep into it. This was passed back in 1976 to stop overfishing. Okay. But what it's meant is that now the MSA is able to just come up with all these rules. And the rule that, that brought this case specifically was Fish monitors, all these guys make sure that you're doing all the stuff you're supposed to and the fish are the appropriate size and everything else. And the boats have to pay for them, Clay. So that's the part. So they're saying, hold on a second. 
Congress never passed a law that I have to pay for a fishery management agent to be on my boat, making sure I don't break actual laws or regulations. This is a Supreme Court case, and so what the Supreme Court has to look at is, is this even fair? So there's a due process component to it. Is it a usurpation of judicial authority because the judiciary should be making these determinations, not a federal agency when it comes to statute? And there are a couple of other things we can get into. But anyways, this, I, I think that basically gets to it. Yeah, I think the we, way the way I would sum it up is if you believe the United States government has become overloaded with bureaucracy, I think you're correct, right? One of the things that Vivek said that I would agree with, and we saw Elon Musk do it with X slash Twitter is, I really think, I think Elon said, uh, sorry, Vivek said he would fire 75% of all federal employees. That's sometimes said, but I think that could occur and we wouldn't lose any actual efficiency because our tax dollars go to pay a lot of people who don't do anything, right? But what happens is here, I'm trying to think how to explain it easily. Congress decides that they are going to implement a law. And then they put a regulatory agency, basically, in charge of implementing that law. And the question that is uh, being examined is how much deference has to be given, and I'm speaking generally not about this case in particular, how much deference has to be given to the administrative state to be able to manage the delegation of authority that Congress gave to an agency. Now, that might sound complicated because it is really kind of nuanced but effectively the way to think about it buck is if you're upset about what one of these agencies is doing they are saying they derive their authority from congress what the courts are trying to examine is how much deference do these agencies deserve relative to where their power designation comes from and how challenging is it if you're a citizen out there who feels like there is no way to address the power-hungry administrative state that is deciding effectively to make law without the authority to do so and potentially without effective judicial review. Now, that may be complicated, but that's the essence of what is at stake here. And really, what the courts are examining is how much control should we have over decisions that are being made by the administrative state. It's a separation of powers examination and if you are listening right now and you're like, man, that sounds really interesting, you should go to law school uh, because this is the kind of thing that you spend a lot of time sitting around debating as it pertains to separation of powers in our current government, right? Um, and so the big issue is that our government's become far too large and gets involved in regulating far well, too many things. I mean, I think that's what most people out there would agree with. That's absolutely true, but also you have unaccountable agencies that are making things that are effectively law that that are not held accountable and and, and so if you don't like the epa's interpretation and this all rests on the whole chevron deference principle rests on a reasonable interpretation of statute well guess what the federal agencies which are overloaded with left-wing authoritarian democrats have done they've taken entirely unreasonable interpretations of statutes. The Supreme Court actually had to strike down the EPA's ability to monitor CO2 emissions, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things now, if if the EPA can monitor CO2 emissions, the EPA is effectively, you know, God king of our economy. Like, it it can run everything. There's nothing that is beyond its, its remit. 
And so, you know, that's, that's where you, you start to see, and people that have dealt with any federal agency and any of these regulations understand that, you know, there's this tremendous frustration because you're being held legally responsible to obey things that are really just the whim of bureaucrats working in an agency that are only created via congressional action in the first place. And if Congress has not spoken on something, you should not be held to account civilly and criminally in some cases, I might add. I mean, this is part of the big overcriminalization of federal law. So, okay, we did it. We, we went there. The Chevron doctrine, uh, Chevron deference. If this is overturned, it's a huge deal within the federal government and it will mean that you will have a, I think a restoration of both legislative and judicial prerogative and constitutional separation and accountability. And that's a good thing. It's a nerdy case with enormously beneficial implications if they overturn this. They're going to argue stare decisis. You know, it's already been decided, but you know, you can always argue stare decisis in these kinds of things. It doesn't, that doesn't hold water. This, I think, has the potential to be the most consequential year of Supreme Court rulings, maybe in related to the election cases that are going to be playing out as well. Um, in fact, when we come back, Buck, um, I'm going to set the table because the third hour, Joe Manchin is starting to flirt with the idea of running. Now that it appears that Trump and Biden are both going to be at least locked in for the spring as the presumptive candidates of the Democrat and Republican Party, how many third parties are there going to be? And how much of that is going to implicate who ends up winning this election? I'm not hearing a lot of discussion about the third party angle. We've talked about the motivations of Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, how that's going to play out in New Hampshire as we sit six days out. But I actually think one of the most important aspects of this race is also going to be decided in the near future. And it is this, how many of these third-party candidates are going to dive in and what is that going to do to the overall vote totals in general? Um, we'll discuss that next. Uh, you can also weigh in, as always, 800-282-2882. And Senator Tommy Tuberville is going to join us in the third hour. So that is going to be the only uh, the only guest for today. And I want to tell you, as uh, as we roll in, coming towards the end of the second hour of the program, uh, we've got really good work that's being done by Hillsdale College. They are helping to hook up so many people out there uh, who want actual, reliable education for their kids. And the work that these guys are doing at Hillsdale over and above the university itself is pretty incredible. Uh, right now, uh, they have got uh, Americans between the ages of 18 to 30 are likely to reject patriotism compared to people who are older. How did that happen? Uh, why are they making this choice? Hillsdale's examining it. Uh, and look, the Hillsdale's just one college, but they've got a voice. They invest in a curriculum for charter schools nationwide, and they offer aspects of their on-campus teaching and online courses. In fact, this week, you're likely to hear their Constitution Minutes on our program. If you love history and you're trying to get your kids into it, Constitution Minutes, bite-sized gems that will get them hooked. We're proud to have Hillsdale on board with us again this year, particularly with their Constitution Minutes. If you miss the minutes, you can hear them on our website where we will be posting them for you, clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. That's clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. One more time, clayandbuckforhillsdale.com. Check it out today. 
Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. We'll dive into some third-party analysis here at the top of the next hour. Where might that be headed? But, Buck, I know you're not a diehard football fan, but I thought that you would appreciate this. So things are going pretty fabulously well for all of our listeners in Michigan. The University of Michigan wins the national championship in football. The Detroit Lions are hosting their second straight home playoff football game. They play at Ford Field, named after the Ford family, which owns the Detroit Lions. And they have played in a dome for nearly 50 years in Detroit. Some of you out there uh, saw how cold it was in Kansas City. You saw how cold it was in Buffalo. Like I said, it was zero degrees here. Super cold in Detroit in the winter. No great surprise there. They have been playing... Pontiac Silverdome, Buck, you're an old-school wrestling fan. Do you remember WrestleMania three when Hulk Hogan picked up Andre the Giant, body-slammed him? That took place in the Pontiac Silverdome, uh, just north of town in Oakland County, I believe, uh, there in the Detroit area. I, I thought that was the most amazing moment in wrestling history when I was a kid. Like, that actual moment to me was the most amazing, iconic moment when Hulk Hogan lifted up Andre the Giant. You know, my uh, my wife 
Laura was in the crowd in the upper deck of the Pontiac Silverdome as like a three or a four year old for uh, WrestleMania three, uh, I mean, which is one of her amazing. proud I'm moments. Not, I'm not surprised, but that's amazing. She's a huge wrestling fan too. But um, there was a question. So we got a lot of listeners in Tampa Bay. Congratulations to the Bucks. They beat the Eagles. And now they're traveling on the road in Detroit. But there are a lot of dumb people in the media. Sports media may have dumber people than regular media. This is one of the all-time dumbest questions that's ever been asked in a press conference. They have played, again, as a prelude, indoors in Detroit for 50 years. But this reporter, she's worried about the weather. Listen. Looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams uh, today. It's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures it's going to to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? They got a dome. I don't... Um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. Buck. Oh man. 50 years of indoor field in Detroit. This reporter, this woman looked up the weather in Detroit, somehow has missed that the Lions have played in the dome for 50 years. However dumb you think reporters are, they're probably dumber than you expect. This is one of the dumbest questions I've ever heard. I can't even imagine. I mean, to do the research to know what the temperature is in Detroit, and not know that they play indoors and have, again, if it were a brand new stadium, this was the first year or something, 50 years they've been playing indoors. I can't cast any stones here because I would have asked the same question about the weather. I have no idea what's indoor and outdoor in terms of stadiums. So, but then again, I'm not but a local. But wouldn't you have Detroit. probably also done your research in Tampa? I mean, like it takes four minutes of research to pull up and be like, oh yeah, or just watch the game the week before. And recognize yeah, so if this were my job, I think I would have I would have been able to avoid that that landmine. Um, I think that is fair to say. So yes, indeed, no doubt. I loved that. Uh, when we come back, all right, third party. By the way, however dumb you might feel, sometimes you probably have never asked a question that dumb in your professional career. Good answer, by the way. Todd Bowles handled that about as well as you could. Have. We're gonna be outside for twenty seconds walking into the stadium. I think we'll be okay. Um, when we come back, third party. Joe Manchin making an argument that he might run as a third party. Liz Cheney, Chris Christie. Are there people out there that just want to spoil the uh, race for either Trump or Biden? And how might they impact the race going forward? We'll break all that down for you. Plus, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama joining us at 2.30 Eastern in the final hour. That's all coming up next. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.